Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about the Ford F-150 Lightning EV, Virgin Galactic's plans for a space tourism, Audi's plans for a vehicle to everything, and much more. And as usual, I'm joined by the guy who actually got to experience the Ford F-150, Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? Doing good, Matt. How you doing today? It's It's been a couple of days now. I haven't been able to tell anybody about it because I was under like a full embargo. Um, but yes, I was in Michigan last week to see the F-150, and it was a super honor. I'm not really sure why I was picked, but it was fascinating, and it was super awesome with the engineering teams. So we'll talk about it here in a second. But it's been a good week. Our video this week was on that, and it'll be a link in the description. And you've had a pretty good week, I think. <laughs> yes. We can say as well, your video is blown up. I wasn't sure if you'd show up today. I thought you might have retired and uh, yeah. you know yeah. you might have been out. Yeah. But no. yeah, so what was your video this week? My video was about solid state wind energy and wind energy that doesn't use blades. And it's kind of struck a chord with everybody. It's it's getting lots of views right now. Kind of caught me off guard. But it was a very fun, interesting topic. So I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes, you know, the YouTube gods shine upon us and uh, (laughs) you just got to take it and run with it. (laughs) Exactly. I'm hoping that happens for us soon here as well. All right. So as we talked about, our very first story today is it's official. Ford has unveiled their F-150 Lightning pickup truck. Uh, It'll start under 40,000 for the base model with the uh, standard range and it'll come up to a extended range 300 mile variant. And it can power your house. So it has V to G or V to H, V to vehicle to home, uh, I guess you can call it. Um, what was cool is uh, Matt, was, Matt mentioned Joe Biden had a chance to go check it out. And he was doing hot laps in it and really having some fun, which is really cool to see uh, him having fun like a little kid again. But this thing is pretty remarkable, I actually think. I think this is going to be a hit car. And the reason I say that is because I kind of had a realization when I flew out there. I live in California. Matt lives in Massachusetts. We kind of live in our own little bubbles where we think everything is the way we see it. Like, for example, here in California, everybody, um, there's a picture of me with the car. I'll just let this video run maybe as I talk, maybe if that'll cooperate. But here in California, when we drive around, all you see is Hondas, Toyotas, there's tons of Teslas, right? I get to Detroit and it is American cars. I think I saw five Hondas and Toyotas and one Tesla in three days. It is markedly different than what we have here. So the first thing I I think we should realize is this is the best-selling car. I mentioned in my video, the year is 1981, Robert De Niro wins an Oscar (laughs) for Raging Bull. That's how, that was the last year that Ford wouldn't have the best-selling car in America. Not just pickup, but car. So wildly dominant, and now it's electric. So first and foremost, we should... (laughs) kind of takes us a moment to say, oh my gosh, electric vehicles aren't some small little niche anymore. The best-selling car in America is electric. And what's crazy is Ford knows this is the best F-150 they've ever made. And Matt, I'll have you jump in and give your thoughts, and then I'll switch over to driving impressions, I think. But this is the best F-150 ever, and it's electric. So now Ford has the unenviable position where they're still having to sell gas cars, And telling them about all the great stuff about the electric version and dealing with that dichotomy. It's kind of a bizarre thing. Um, And before I go on about it, Matt, what... um (laughs) <laughs> what what stood out to you, or what what are you what are you thinking about with this? Well, the first thing was it just knocked my socks off. It's like I I was expecting something a little lackluster, and they didn't. It was like what is it? It's like eleven outlets around the truck, and when I saw the front of the truck, I was like, oh, they're doing that faux you know like grill area in the front, and then they got to the part of the video where it showed the tr- trunk, 
and my mind was blown. I was like, okay, I get why they're doing that front the way they are. Because that trunk is amazing. And the fact that they've got that cut down doesn't makes it reachable that you can actually get into it. It's astonishing how much storage space that that truck is gonna have. Um, there were other things that jumped out to me were which were like the um vehicle to home charging, which was the first thing that was just like, wow, that's awesome. It's that nine point two I think it is kilowatts 9.6 9.6 that it can do which is enough to supply energy to pretty much every home it's like it's very few homes that would probably need more than that that's insane that's that's two power walls it's like sitting yeah, in your driveway and if you're if you're out of power plug in and you get some power um the trailer hitch assist mode i had to kind of dive into that a little bit more because i was curious about what that actually was and for somebody like me who's not used to driving with a trailer behind me or hooking it up, it's like it's a system that basically makes that brain dead easy to do. Like it makes it feel like you're not driving with a trailer behind you. It takes care of everything for you. The little nuances of how it throws the weight off and how you have to drive a little different sounds so cool. And then the other thing that jumped at me was their um, self driving. It's like this is this. I think this is the first time they've really talked about it, which is their. I'm blanking on the name of it. It was the Blue, Blue Cruise. Blue Cruise. And Which I was is just funny because like, even in the event, some of the engineers called it Super Cruise. <laughs> oh, they did? Yeah. yeah. But I love that it's, they've got the Blue Cruise for Ford, and it's very similar to full self-driving where it's not using LiDAR. It's using computer vision. And so it's like, wow, Ford. It's like they just kind of – I've been harping on a lot of these companies for not talking about what they're doing, what their big plans are for the future. And this, for me, was like – Ford coming out and kind of drop, dropping the gauntlet and saying, no, we're here. We're serious about this. And this is just the beginning of what we're talking about. So it did not feel like it was uh, a compliance truck. <laughs> it feels like they're taking this seriously and they're trying to build the best truck they've ever made. And it's massive. It's absolutely massive. So just completely blown away. My first takeaway, if you go back to my screen... <laughs> Just to, to remind everybody what the Cybertruck looked like. Yes. I have a reservation for a Cybertruck. <laughs> me too, me too. And you do too. Um, you'll need one for your lair, which somebody already mentioned. But <laughs> when when I saw the F-150, my first thought is, this is, it looks like, a, I drove, all, you know, I flew out here. It looks like a F-150 that we have all seen before. But then it hit me. Imagine driving to get like a gallon of milk in this thing, in the, in the Cybertruck. You're going to get constant attention everywhere you go, right? And there are people in the world who love attention, right? The, the, the people, that's not me. I got it, a white Tesla because I don't want attention. My favorite color for the Model 3 is red, but I didn't get that color for this reason. Yeah. So it hit me like, oh crap, I'm going to have to go to like, the grocery store in this thing and everywhere I go I have people turning around and looking at me and the F-150 is the opposite it's just a truck take what we do what everyone loves what we sell a million of and make it electric and so then it kind of dawned on me okay you know there's probably a huge market of people who aren't looking for like the cutting edge or you know the kind of coolness or you know the hip stuff with Tesla they just want a truck that's electric and you tell them about some of the perks that you mentioned and you have a hit on your hands so at the event I got there, for the first 20 minutes, it wasn't even about the truck, really. It was about the vehicle-to-home uh, option and feature. And we, they, they were talking about Texas, what happened there. And, you know, I think what they were doing is they are thinking, look, there are people for whom the truck is kind of like a part of the family. You know, I, every eight years, I get a new one or every so many years. And 
it's um it's something that they understand that they're going they're going to have to convince these people to buy the electric version and what better way than to have things like vehicle to home where if something bad happens the power goes out you have a massive battery in your car running your house like you hit, you hit it on the head two power walls means you can run air conditioning you can even deal with a spike of an electric motor like a big big high voltage motor you can run all your fridges and air conditioning and ovens and everything else and you mentioned two power walls in terms of power output and 10 power walls in terms of capacity actually capacity yes they said three and days this, three days of power on right. just the truck if it's fully charged that's insane it's really cool. And if you have solar, remember, it, it works incongruent, you know, incongruently with, with, with solar. That could be 10 days easily uh, for, for someone like me. So this, it reminded me again of my gripe about Tesla. I hate that they don't support um, vehicle to grid. And the reason is not that I think you do it all the time. I'm not trying to save a dollar a day with energy arbitrage. I'm not worried about that. But I want to know, like, if something crazy were to happen, that I could just plug in my car and with the solar and the power wall and everything else and just never have to worry about it. So um, it, those are the kind of the highlights that really stuck out to me. The driving of the truck was also really, really cool. Uh, Ford dropped off a, a hybrid gas F-150 for me <laughs> to drive from the airport to the show. Nice touch. And it was, it was a really nice touch, especially because I got to drive the gas version, the electric version, and the gas version home. So the comparisons in my mind were just so fresh. And the gas version is a 10-speed automatic because, again, you have such a sweet little tiny sweet spot for torque for a gas motor uh, that you have to have all these gears. The, the truck felt like it was constantly shifting gears and turning in the car. There's so much body swaying. Anybody who drives SUVs and pickup trucks, you guys know. The center of gravity is really high. And it in, in the video, it's probably a little bit mean. I said, it's more akin to steering a boat or like captaining a boat than it is driving a car. Which is how I've always felt. It's very tough to, for me because you feel like you could flip it if you turn it too hard. And then you get in the electric version and the chief engineer is driving around and just like really quickly changing lanes. And it feels like you're just sliding on rails. It is, a, it, it is anybody who isn't a fan of electric vehicles, like anybody in the audience who's watching who's a Ford guy or like a pickup truck guy, go drive one. And then come back and find this video and leave us a comment. It's shocking how incredible it is to drive it feels more like a car which is a crazy thing to say about a 6500 pound um, big truck i think they have a hit on their hands i think they've done all the right things and i think they have approached it from all the right spots you mentioned the the the, the pro trailer assist package and stuff that stuff they've been perfecting for 10 years 20 years in some cases they do trucks really well and they endurance test them really hard they have this entire proving ground and they do like after I left, the following week, they're going to be in Borrego Springs doing the desert and the sand test just to make sure that it handles all that really well. So you're getting a truck that you know gets put through all of its paces. And you know that if you have a, a really heavy 10,000-pound trailer and you're pulling it up a really steep hill incline, you're not going to overheat something because they've done the testing. Their numbers are what they are you know, going to claim with some sort of safety factor. So... I think that goes a long way, and there's tons of people who will buy this because it's made, built by Ford, and they love or respect or historically they, their families have bought Ford pickup trucks. So, yes, very impressed. And um, if you go back to my screen while we're at it, we can kind of uh, – for all the guys in the comments, we're going to do three more stories, and then we'll just talk about trucks. I think it'll be a fun <laughs> conversation. Yes. But this is the Rivian, right? This is the third. 
So we now live in an age where you have three viable choices coming in the near term, the next year, from three companies I know are going to produce trucks. There's some others that I don't have as much faith in, but these three I know are going to do it. And I'm excited. I'd, I'd happily drive any one of them. I, I really like all three of them. But yep. yeah. you, you touched on something that struck home for me, too. It struck home for me the more I've been thinking about Rivian. It's like I have a, you know, I have a reservation for the Cybertruck. But the more I've been thinking about it, it's like, I don't want to be that guy because I'm talking about moving out to Western Massachusetts and I will be in a town where I would probably be the only person with a Cybertruck. And I don't want to be that guy showing up to buy a gallon of milk and getting all that attention. I don't like attention. I like just to kind of fade off into the background. And so it's like, I want to get a truck, but I'm actually having qualms about getting the Cybertruck. I like personally the way it looks, but it's too blingy. It's way too blingy. Did you think about that before? No, I didn't. It was like the more I've been looking at the the Rivian's been growing on me. It's like, (laughs) I've been really thinking I would go for a Rivian over the Cybertruck now. I haven't made the call because I got plenty of time to figure it out because I'm probably not going to be buying for like more than a year. But it's like, I'm thinking Rivian. And then after this Ford F-150, it's like, well, maybe it's a Ford because it's like, this is a really nice truck too. And the price point, that's the other thing we didn't talk about. The price point is so competitive to the Cybertruck. Roughly the same mileage, roughly the same prices. It's it, it's they really they dropped the gauntlet. They they I was expecting something to be more expensive than the Cybertruck, and the fact that they were basically able to kind of basically match the price points is pretty impressive. I, I can completely agree. For whatever reason, it never dawned on me either. I just love the specs, the Cybertruck. Forget yeah. the looks and stuff. I, I I do not care about that kind of stuff at all. But the specs were just so compelling, and I Killer. thought. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted a 500-mile car, you got to pay double the money to get a Plaid Plus Model S, right? Yes. Think about the value proposition then. Yes. And that's what it was for me. Um, me too. But I will say there's going to be a lot of verses and, like, this heated debates. But the reality is these are three trucks for, like, wildly different people. Yep. Um, so – and I think there's going to be room for all. Cybertruck, I think, is an appeal to people who never bought trucks before. The F-150 is an appeal to, like, middle America, people who just, who use trucks every day. They're, like, in their lifeblood. They've had – I've had comments where people were like, I've had an F-150 since 1968, and this is my seventh one, and I keep them for 10 years, and I will have one for – it'll appeal to all of them. So I think it's going to be – I think it's going to be a winner, and I, I'm hoping that it'll propel forward to keep investing and, and moving in this direction. I agree. Completely agree. So the next story, which is kind of a hard left turn, uh, we're talking about the Colonial Pipeline fiasco that happened over the past few weeks. The CEO confirmed that they spent $4.4 million in ransom uh, that they paid in Bitcoin to the hackers. Um, It was actually something like 75 Bitcoin that they paid out. And they did say that, you know, they did, this was a hard decision for them to make. They didn't want to do this, but they wanted to get the pipeline back up as fast as, as possible. But the big thing that we should be taking away from this story, which this does, this story does touch on is the critical infrastructure in the United States. And it's probably in other countries around the world too, but in the United States is woefully like underprepared for this type of attack. And they talked about how like this hacker group, um, Darkside, tends to focus on like North America for hacking. They tend not to do it in the Baltic states. They tend to just focus on us and finding the weak points. And this is this is a problem for things like hospitals, uh, our city grids. All of these things are opened to ransomware attacks, which is where they get into the network. They basically 
lock up gigabytes of of information and hold it hostage demanding a payoff so that they will unlock it and it's 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 a just a money-making scheme but our proper our different networks around the united states are just not prepared for this and when one ho hospital was hacked there was actually a story where that one patient died because they had to divert that patient to a different hospital that was not being affected and it caused the person to die because they couldn't get the care they needed quick enough so this this does have ramifications that we really have to think about so what was your take on this whole this whole fiasco <laughs> that happened you know, my take was I was thinking the economics of this story are really troubling for me. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is they sell, I think in the article they said 100 million gallons a day, okay? Mm -hmm. If we factored $3 a gallon, $300 million a day. What is $4 million to them? I mean, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even account for it. Like, that's like a rounding error for them, right? So to me, that is troubling because now every... It's like the U.S. We don't negotiate with terrorists because part partly the minute you start to do it, you're you're inviting more um, more turmoil. But in the economic in incentives here, it is really unfortunate because even a five or ten million dollar ransom, I think you pay it every all day because the, first of all the disruption that happened, right? People filling up garbage bags full of gasoline and flipping their cars over and all kinds of ridiculousness. And losses in revenue are so extreme that the incentive the incentive structure is really poorly in favor of the criminals right now. Yeah. And everything you just said, as far as our infrastructure and the fact that it's really woefully inequipped. But at the same time, I'll say this as a software engineer, I always say that security and software is an arms race, right? You hmm. come up with a bow and arrow, and then you have a shield, but then you have a bullet, and then you have Kevlar, and then you have bullet pierce. It's an arms race. Like Every time you upgrade something, you think you've got the latest and greatest in terms of encryption and everything else, there's always vulnerabilities. And we keep patching them, we keep finding stuff. But these guys are really clever. And one thing I've always learned about hackers is they love, like, more than making money or, you know, having stability, they just love, like, the challenge of it. And that's why some of these guys end up making tons of money working for the good guys because they just love hacking shit. It's a challenge and it's fun. And I... So... I think what we are seeing might be the beginning of a trend, and that's what freaks me out. This one particular instance, it shows you how disruptive it can be. But I have a bad feeling that this could be kind of a harbinger of, of things to come because the incentive is just too great, and these companies are going to pay because what is $5 million is the drop in the bucket? Yeah, literally, in this case. It's, it's going to get worse and worse. Yeah, Biden does have some plans, so let's hope that the arms race is, is two-sided and somewhat fair <laughs> but, yeah but the bad guys typically in this regard um usually prevail um so that one was a, <laughs> a major downer so let's let's switch gears and talk about something way more fun lighten though, it up. you know it's yeah, <laughs> yeah lightening it up a little bit virgin galactic which is a company that matt and i probably have been watching for some time they had their eyes set on a, on a test space flight this saturday um they've they've had to scrap some for various things there was a uh sort of radiation issue or something and their computers had a little like a checksum that didn't pass and they had to scrap one of their flights but the spaceship unity 2 will be conducting um a another test flight they operate in new mexico typically these kinds of operations always operate in wide open spaces where there's a lot of airspace and few civilians and other passengers but they're they're 
philosophies, they, they get up in this really cool little carrier aircraft that gets them up most of the way. And then in this test, they're not going to actually ignite the rocket, but they're just going to glide back home, test control surfaces and general um, handling qualities of the aircraft. But in the future, they'd ignite that rocket at this point and go the rest of the way into like a low Earth orbit. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. All the interest of space tourism. And I think I threw this story on the board today because we're at the cusp of what could actually, in our lifetimes, yes. be a new industry. It could be like, oh, you know, we got married, boss, I'm taking uh, 10 days off. My wife and I are going to go and go check out m the moon and go, you know, <laughs> go around the earth a little and, and, and you know, wine and dine and come back home. The energy exertion is all to get to orbit. Once, if you're in a stable orbit, you can turn everything off and just glide and enjoy the view for a couple of days. Then maybe you do like a re-entry burn and change your trajectory and come back home. So it's still early. I think they have a lot of challenges ahead of them. I don't think they have the kind of R&D or funding that like SpaceX does. But I look at these guys as another company to, to keep SpaceX on their heels and to continue to push for a future where space is like going to the airport and, and catching a flight, uh, which I think is just so cool. I Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it signed me up too. It's like I, I've been obsessed with space my entire life and the opportunity to go with something like this is amazing. And it's like, if they're not competing with SpaceX, they're not competing with Blue Origin, that's not what they're trying to do. I just love the fact that space tourism is going to be a thing in my lifetime. It's like, I really hope I can take advantage of this, but it's probably going to be way too expensive for a very long time. So hopefully those prices come down and normal folks like us can afford to go up to space. But it's this is pretty cool. This is so exciting. I'm going to definitely be tr keeping my eyes out if they're going to live stream it. I, I couldn't find anything if they are, but I really hope they do because it should be fun. I'm going to keep an eye as well. Maybe we can do a community post if, if we find the details. But yeah. I'm with you. I, I was hoping they'll do a live stream as well. Yeah. Um, such cool stuff. It's it's. What's crazy is they're burning through, not like making any money yet. So they've got yeah. a huge amount of burn in front of them. But hopefully they, they can actually make this thing happen. Yep. Yeah. What do you think would be a cost for a first, like, oh, man. first, first tickets, like a million each? Uh, it's going to be something like that. It's going to be hundreds of thousands, or if not million. It's going to be very expensive. I think even when the prices come down, it's going to be like 50 grand. It's like, yeah, no, I, I can't. I'm not going to spend 50 grand doing that. Matt, you might have to brush up on your hacker skills and see if we can't uh, hijack a pipeline or something. To take yeah. to <laughs> a little ransomware, <laughs> be able to afford the trip. Yeah. So the last story, this one's also kind of a fun one. Um, Audi wants to do vehicle-to-everything tech to make school buses safer. Um, I, I was so happy to see you put this on here because this is a, it's a really cool, just like, I don't know, I'm... If you know me, you know I'm into smart homes and smart cities and technology like this. And this is just so cool about the, the whole idea of vehicle to everything is adding communications technologies like between the car and the environment so that the car knows what's going on in the environment and vice versa. And so what Audi's doing is they're basically just adding these smarts and communications to as a test bed. And they're working with um, Bluebird buses and Fulton County Schools, which is an Atlanta suburb. And they're testing this out for buses because there's 17 million traffic violations every year of cars ignoring school bus stop sign arms, the little stop signs that pop out from the sides of school buses here in the United States. And 17 million vi traffic violations for this. And so what this would do is as a car is in a vicinity of one of these buses, 
there'd be a warning light that would come up on your screen to warn you that there's a bus stopped up ahead. So even if you can't see it yet, you would know it's up ahead so that you could actually start to slow down and prepare for that bus. So it's little things like this that will make our community safer. It'll make us just th think about this being applied to, to pretty much everything. You know, like your car being aware of what a stoplight is doing before the stoplight's even in your vicinity. Like you know that there's a red light around the bend coming up school buses around the bend. It's like, this is such cool tech. I, I love that they're doing this kind of pilot program. If you, um, I think it was the 5.9 gigahertz spectrum. So the FCC has already kind of cordoned off a, a section of the, of the radio frequency spectrum for this activity, which mm -hmm. is one of the most forward-looking things the government has ever done. I've never, I can't, I'm trying to think of it in a situation where they had such foresight to sit back and go, you know, in the future when cars are so smart, we should cordon off the 5.9 uh, gigahertz frequency for, for that. But they have, they've done that. And we talked about this the week when I'd made my FSD beta video talking about vehicle inter-vehicle communication and vehicle to everything, meaning it's not just vehicle to vehicle, but it could be like every one of those signs that you see, like, you know, an amber alert that conveys information. Every road fixture, anything, not even just passenger vehicles can communicate. That's where the X comes from. But the, the benefits here are incredibly uh, special. A, a Tesla, as great as your computer vision is, um, if you're driving and there's a kid coming behind, uh, running behind a bus or something, and he darts out and you can't react in time, you can't react in time. There's nothing a camera can do. You can't, you don't have x-rays. I don't, I don't think mm -hmm. Tesla's planning x-ray. So anything like this where you can get more context, it's a, a school crossing, you've changed zones, uh, the arm is out, meaning like you're you're no, you're sending out notifications saying you know there's some sort of extra cautionary event, slow down further. All of this stuff I think is where we go from, and people have made the argument once you have full self-driving cars, the rate of incident will plummet. True, then that final ten percent or whatever that last bit, I mm -hmm. think you accomplish when you do this. And then when we have both of those, then it becomes like the movies we've all seen. I'm trying to yes. I'm blanking on an example of one where. Everything just works so flawlessly, and it's just perfect. So I'm a fan. I'm a believer in the vehicle interview, the vehicle-to-vehicle communication protocols. A lot of work has to be done. They yeah. have to figure out like standards on how these communications are going to happen, and just even architecture to keep latency low, to make it reliable and, and predictable. So huge challenge, but I do think that development will go hand in hand with full self-driving uh, regulations going forward. Yeah, it's going to make our cars superhuman. And it's at that point where you, you need can to drive, drive and compete. You can't right. even compete with it. It's going to be so like flawless for, for driving. Well, that was actually the last story of the evening. Thank you guys so much. As always, it's been a blast. Yep. Thanks so much for watching. And don't forget, if you want to listen to the audio version of the podcast, it's at viceversa.show, 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, every Thursday night. So thanks again for watching. We'll see you in the next one.